Eric's on a little staycation this week, uh, hanging out with his family, and he asked me to teach. Um, and for those of you in here that don't know me, my name is Billy, and I am the worship pastor, and super grateful for these guys, huh? Man, awesome. Um, so yeah, so I'm teaching tonight, really excited to be with you guys. Um, and do you guys ever have those weeks where it just feels like life is against you? Where it just happens to be one thing after the other. You tend to feel overwhelmed. That's been one of those weeks for me. Um, we've had a lot of events here at church. We've had a really busy few weeks with ladies' tea and uh, just things going on at our house. And on top of that, it's been really hard for me to fall asleep the past couple of weeks. And the times when I do fall asleep, for some reason, I've been waking up at 3.30 in the morning, like on the dot, every night. And it just seems like I can't get any sleep or get through it or um, anything like that. And I don't say all that to make you feel sorry for me, like, oh man, this guy. But I say all that to say that I got super frustrated this week, one of the times. I've been waking up and kind of feeling like God was stirring my heart, like maybe he wanted to talk to me, maybe he wanted to say something, and I was like, I'm not doing this right now. I'm tired. It's 3.30 in the morning. I'm going back to bed. And this happened like five or six times, and I just kept waking up. So on Friday, Thursday night or Friday night, it got to like the boiling point, and I was like, God, okay, what are you doing? I'm here. I'm awake. If you want to say something, then say something, because I'm not doing this anymore. And uh, God was like, hey man, I just wanted to let you know that you don't have to know exactly what I'm doing, but you can know that what I'm doing is good. And then I went to sleep, and I haven't woken up since, so that was, that's been great. But that really struck me, and it, it started this kind of snowball effect of me thinking about the promises of God and how those looked and that he does promise that he works all things for the good of those who love him, right? And so tonight I wanted to start with a question, and that question is, is who in here loves the promises of God? Like three people. Okay. No, hands raised. Just kidding. No, no, no. no. That's great. I love the promises of God, right? And I wanted to start, start out with a verse out of James 4. Uh, it's James 4, 8. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to say it really quickly, and then we're going to move on. Uh, but it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Amen. And see, this is a promise. And just as we know, we just said we love God's promises, right? And uh, Pastor Rich talked about it this weekend uh, when we were in John 3, um, but he said that there are over 8,000 promises that God gives in the Bible, and 85% of those are God promising things to us, right? And he keeps every single one of those promises, and I started thinking about the promises that I make in my own life and how my wife comes to me and she says, hey, uh, would you be able to take the trash out this morning? And I'm like, absolutely. I would love to serve you in that way. And then, <laughs> and then she comes home and she's like, hey, did you take the trash out? And I'm like, oh, did you say that? I, I, I didn't take the trash out. I'm working on it. I'm working through it. I know it's something I need to get better at. But it just goes to show what a contrast we have to the character of God that he always keeps his promises no matter what. And see, these promises come with a prompting a lot of times in scripture, and they're a result of our obedience to the Lord. 
And the prompting in, in uh, this verse out of James is that we first draw near to the Lord, and then he meets us, and he draws near to us, right? And sometimes we forget that there's a process that we have to go through to get to these promises. I could stand up here and say we want all the good things of God, and everyone would be like, yeah, we do. We want more peace and patience and all these things. And it's super exciting. And then we start to shift to despair and hard times and times of trial in our lives, and that's when the the excitement starts to die out, doesn't it? You know, it's easy for me to stand up and talk about the promise and all the great things that God wants to do and what he wants to use us for. And everyone's like, yeah, dude, that sounds great. I'll get excited about that. I love that. And then we shift and we start to talk about struggle, about hard times. And we're like, you know, I don't know. When you were talking about uh, the promises and all the things that God wanted to do, I was really excited. And then when you said we're going to have to go through hard times and we're going to have to struggle, like, I'm out on that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I just want the good things. And you know, that's where we live. We live in loving the promises that God gives us, but hating the process. And I just want to propose a thought to you tonight that sometimes we can't get to the promise unless we act on a prompting, unless we go through the process. And so we're going to be in Exodus 14 tonight, and we're going to look at the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and this process that God is taking them through to get to the the promise, which is ultimately the promised land, right? And so just a brief recap, uh, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, God wants me to set the Israelites free. And Pharaoh's like, no way, we're not doing that. God brings some plagues, some other things that happen. And then Pharaoh eventually at the end of chapter 13, after resisting for a really long time, allows the Israelites uh, to be freed. And then they start this journey towards the promised land. Um, And we see at the end of uh, chapter 13, they camp at the edge of the wilderness. And that's where we'll pick up uh, today. And it's chapter 14, verse 1. And it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-Hararoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And first of all, I just want to say, aren't you guys glad that God knows the end of our story before the beginnings even started? Because we see in this first verse, the first verse, the synopsis for the whole chapter. And we see that God is saying that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart and eventually exalt himself over Pharaoh. Before they've even done anything, the end's worked out. And so they're camping at the edge of the Red Sea and they're surrounded by wilderness and mountains on two sides, Red Sea at their back. And God leads them into this. And we see God saying, Pharaoh will see their situation and he's going to pursue them. And this is exactly what God wanted Pharaoh to believe. You know, God told Moses to lead Israel in a way that looked confusing. And sometimes God leads us in ways that look confusing too. But at the end of it, God is going to gain honor over Pharaoh. He's going to be exalted and, it's going to say, and it says that the Israelites will know that he is God, that his will is going to be carried out over the will of Pharaoh. And I think this is a really important thing to remember, that even in the midst of chaos, God has a plan. When it looks like we're surrounded, that God has a plan for our lives, and it's ultimately to give himself glory. Verse 5, it says, Now it was told the king of Egypt and the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants 
was turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And this is kind of a strange question for Pharaoh and and, uh, the Egyptians to ask, because when we look at the scripture, we can see 10 really good reasons why he let the Israelites go, and we're only five verses in from chapter 13, which ended with Pharaoh freeing the, the Israelites, and now he's like, wait a second, why did we do that? We need to go get them. But I think this demonstrates how often and how quickly we forget what God has done in the past, what God has led us to do. And we, we have to continue to walk in that. We have to continue to do what God has led us to do in the past as we march towards our future. Uh, verse 6 says, So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So there's a little contrast here, right? We see that chariots at this time uh, in history were like the most sophisticated military technology available. We see that Pharaoh's got 600 of them, and we see that he has put uh, like a, a general, a chief in every one of those chariots. And it says that Israel went out with their boldness. So the odds are staggered a little bit against Israel here. And if you're an Israelite, you know, you're thinking, man, Moses came to set us free. We're out here. We're walking. Everything's great. We're camping by this nice ocean. And then there's this like faint rumbling in the distance. And you turn and you look and there's just chariots coming over the hill. And you're like, oh no, we are in a lot of trouble here. But we have to remember God's plan in times of opposition and our confidence in the unseen and what God has called us to in times of peril has to outweigh our fear in what is seen. And I'll say that again, that our confidence in the unseen in times of peril has to outweigh our fear in what is seen. Um, Verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Piharoth and Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said, Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Which I just think is kind of funny, because a few verses earlier it says they're filled with boldness, and they're already like, oh no, we're done here. Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And see, when we view our circumstances through the eyes of humanity, we're oftentimes met with fear. But when we view our circumstances through the eyes of God, we can find rest in the promises that he gives. Right? Remember Moses went into Egypt and tells Pharaoh, Let my people go. And they're like, oh, what's up with this guy? He wants to bring us freedom. Being a slave is hard, I'll tell you. And he's offering freedom. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in. We'll get out of here right now. Let's go. Being, <laughs> being a slave is really hard. But once they start on this journey and they start in the process, they immediately want to quit when the challenge arises. And they say we would have rather been slaves than to have this false promise, right? But we know from the story that it wasn't a false promise. It was just God taking them through the process. So here we go, children of Israel, backs against the wall. Literal army of chariots coming at them. They have no idea what's going on. They think, man, we have no hope. Moses, what are you doing? You led us astray. We're done for. And they start to see their fate 
approaching right before their eyes, and they were scared. And see, there are going to be times when we're going through our, our process and the processes and the, thing that God wants, the things that God wants to do in us when our enemies are approaching, when we feel surrounded, and we have to hold fast to the promises that God gives us throughout Scripture. And it says they cried out to the Lord, because in all honesty, a lot of times, that's all we can do, right? Like we look at David in the Psalms and how a lot of the Psalms go through this transition of, man, nothing is going well at all. This is the worst. And we don't know what happens in that transition, but then his, his sorrow turns to praise and he, he continually shifts his mindset. And that's what we have to do. But our attitude can be when we're in the thick of it, our tendency to look back at the past and think, man, it was so much easier when I was living apart from God. When I was walking and doing things out of my own volition, when I wasn't trying to live my life for the Lord. I was better off pursuing the things apart from God. But we know that through this process that God had something so incredible in store for Israel and the Israelites, they just couldn't see it yet, right? And they just had to trust in the process. But I, I think it's always easier to want God's promises when they're easy, right? When they're comfortable, when we don't have to take steps of faith, when we don't have to do anything. And I can relate to this attitude like, I don't want to do hard things. I don't want to go through tragedy in my life. I don't want to go through disappointments or despair. I just want the good things that God has to offer, but that's not how it works. And at the first sign of adversity, Israel immediately wants to give up. And I can really relate to this. There's a, <laughs> there's a guy in the church named Andrew Krauss, and I don't know if you guys know him, but um, he loves working out. He's like always working out. He looks great, good-looking guy. Um, super buff. Gosh, I keep kicking that. I'm sorry. And um, we're working out at the gym, and we're, we're, I'm, we're like doing pinch press or something, and he's wearing a jacket. And he just like takes off his jacket, and he's in a wife beater. And I'm like, man, like your biceps look great. <laughs> right? Like, I would love to have biceps like that. Like, what do I have to do to look like that? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, man, it's so easy. I'm going to exaggerate this. But he's like, man, it's so easy to look like this. You just have to eat right, and you have to exercise. And, and then, you know, you just get biceps like this. Hence why I'm wearing long sleeves tonight, because <laughs> I'm working. I'm not there yet. But... <laughs> But I'm like, okay, yeah. So I text my wife immediately. I'm like, babe, talk to Andrew. I'm going on a diet. You got to buy chicken and brown rice, and that's all I'm eating for the rest of my life. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, great, that's okay, sure. That's what she says, because this, this is a regular occurrence for us. And so, so then we're like working out, and like 10 minutes in, I'm starting to get tired. I'm starting to get sore, and I'm like, this is not worth it. I do not want to do this. Like, I love biceps, but I also love burritos. Am I right? Come on, somebody out there knows. What's up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. Like, I love pecs, but pizza is also very good. And there's this struggle that occurred within me of like, do I really want this? Do I really want to do this? You know, and there's hundreds of examples in Scripture where God's calling us to a promise, but we first have to take a step of faith in order to walk into that. And we see uh, this play out later in Scripture with Israel and the Israelites and them, them wandering through the desert for 40 years. Did you know that the journey 
from Egypt to Canaan, where the promised land is, should take a caravan this size 11 days to walk there. Eight to 11 days on average. And they wandered for 40 years. God was doing something in them. And see, we, we see God eventually make this promise happen because his word never comes back void. But it's sometimes us who can delay the process in what God wants to do. It's us who can get in the way of what God's doing and delay that because of our selfishness, because of our stubbornness, because of our sin, because our, of our unwillingness to be sore from... Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so we'll pick up in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the ESV on this one says, uh, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And I absolutely love this, because Moses had no idea what God was doing, but he trusted that God was doing something. And he trusted that that thing was good. And I really believe that that's a message for somebody in here tonight, that you may have no idea what God is doing, but you need to trust in the fact that what he's doing in your life is good. That you uh, need to know that God's fighting for you. That the hard things that you're going through, they have a purpose, that his plan for you is moving forward. See, and Moses knew God's character in the promise that he had given him, so it allowed him to trust and walk confidently in what God had called him to and placed on his life for the season. And I really believe that if, if the Israelites had reached their destination without any adversity, without any trial, that they would have felt like they could have done it in their own strength, because that's how we get. When things are easy, we tend to, to withdraw from the Lord. Um, but when things get, get difficult, it's, it's our despair, it's our desperation that leads to our dependence on, on who God is and his character. And uh, each trial they went through taught them that God's end promise was greater than anything that they could imagine. And so when we see our defeat and when we give it up to God, by doing this, we can be set up for our greatest victory. See, when we align ourselves with the will of God and what God is doing, we see blessing. Um, you know, the Bible is a book of, of destiny, which God has ultimate control over our destiny, right? But it's also a book of decision. And we have control over our decisions. And it's our decisions that eventually lead us to our destination. So when we align ourselves with what God is doing, the decisions that we make either lead us closer to the will of God or they pull us farther away and they delay what God's trying to do in our lives. And I don't know about you guys, but I want a life where people can look at me and they're like, man, that guy is so blessed. Like everything in his life Nothing in his life is communicating peace, but he's got a smile on his face. Like when we're in the darkest parts of our lives, we can look to the finished work of the cross and find joy. When we look back at our lives and we remember the things that God's brought us through, the processes that he's taken us through, and the things he's done that allow us to trust him even more. And see, we see that Moses' response even though he's scared, he's trusting in the Lord and being the rock for the Israelites because our, our faith in God's promises allows us to walk through trials and confidence to that ultimate victory. And see, Moses knew what God was, God firstly had called him to, and secondly, 
what God's promise was, and he trusted him in every step of the way on that promise. And I think it would have been really easy for Moses to be like, okay, everyone is yelling at me. The Israelites are yelling at me. Everything is falling apart. It's chaos. We got to do something. What am I doing? I'm crazy. And he could have looked to the people of Israel for advice, but instead he trusted in God's character for what he needed to do. And I can tell you one thing that we need to stop looking at Instagram and at Facebook and at social media for our examples and comparing ourselves to everyone else. But we need to start comparing the way that we live to the way that the Bible calls us to live. Because when we let our ability to, when we let our greatest character trait be that of living Christ-like lives, we see people get transformed, right? And when we allow our ability to act on promptings of the Spirit and to trust in the Lord to be, to be that greatest character trait, we see God receive the glory. So we'll pick up in verse 15 and, and look at God's response. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all of his armies, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And so we see that promise of God coming up again and this is my favorite part of the chapter, and it's, it's how God responds to Moses. You know, Moses says to the Israelites, hey, we can be still and know that God's going to save us. And he cries out to the Lord, and then we see God respond with, why are you crying out to me? Move forward. And see, this wasn't a time for prayer. It was a time for action. Moses is obviously fearful here, which is you know, the reason why God is saying, why are you crying out to me? You know what I've called you to do. You just have to walk in it. You got to keep trudging forward. Um, but Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, um, he was a megachurch pastor in the late 1800s, if you don't know who he was, but he says that there's a time for praying, but there's also a time for holy activity. Prayer is adopted for almost every season, yet not prayer alone, for there comes a time every now and then a time when even prayer must take a secondary place to action. And I think that that's a place we get stuck in way too often. We're, we're waiting on God to do something. He's calling us to take steps of faith so he can do something incredible in our lives. We get caught in the chaos of our situation and our tendency is to stop, right? Like God's got to do something. I'm overwhelmed with fear. I'm overwhelmed with all these things. But see, God is prompting Moses to move to keep pushing forward. And I think that this can bleed over into our, into our families, into our work, into volunteering, into, into the church, that we get so overwhelmed with fear that we're afraid to take, take steps of faith to see what God wants to do. You know, like in verse one, like we talked about, God had a plan for this whole thing. And it was written from the very first verse of the chapter. And it's all for him to get the glory and for him to be exalted. But it took Israel walking through absolute chaos having the feeling that there's no humanly way possible out of this and that God had to make a way, but they had to trust and they had to walk. And I started thinking about this and I like to think that I would have trusted God and I would have been like, yeah, God has called me to do this. Easy. We're just going to keep on trudging through. But then 
with the Egyptians coming. I want to be that guy that's confident in what God has called me to do and to lead the, the Israelites out of captivity. But it would have been so easy, I think, for me to get overwhelmed, exhausted, scared, and be like, oh no, we just got to get out of here. We got to do something. But see, God prompts Moses to get moving and to walk into the sea. And we can't resist the promptings of the Holy Spirit when they come. And I want to clarify that uh, just a little bit through the lens of Scripture. But we, when we look at Scripture, God gives a promise. And then a lot of times there's a prompting, just like we're talking about. Um, right like in James, draw near, then I will draw near. If you ask, seek, and knock, the door will be open, right? Moses, go free Israel. Go free the Israelites and camp here, and I will deliver you and gain honor over Pharaoh, right? And I truly believe that learning to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit is one of the most crucial skills that we can ever learn. Like how many times in our lives have we delayed or missed out on what God wants to do in us because we're afraid to act on a prompting of the Spirit or we're afraid to act on a prompting of God? Like how many times have we come to church tonight maybe, already closed off to anything that God wants to do because we had a bad day, um, couldn't get the kids in the car fast enough. I don't know, whatever you have. And we, we feel God stirring us to take steps of faith, to take action. But we let our fear and our, our excuses overwhelm us. And whatever excuse that may be, it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. We have to walk in what God's called us to do, what God's stirring us to do, or else we miss out on what he wants to do. You know, my wife and I moved here uh, three, three years ago on Thanksgiving. So this is the start of my like fourth year on staff here. And um, Eric's not here, so I'm going to tell this story. But I don't, I've only told like Dan Hooker one time, and it was today. But <laughs> um, my wife and I had just gotten married. We're living in South Carolina. Um, Chance had posted on like a worship leader forum that he was going to leave his job at Rocky Mountain Calvary and was asking if anyone wanted uh, to apply at, at from on this like alumni forum that from the school that we went to and I was like talking to my wife and I'm like I'm just going to do it let's just do it and see what happens probably won't even get it I don't know let's just see what happens so she's like okay so I turn in my resume my application and whatever and um, Pastor Eric called me on a Thursday. I think we had plane tickets Friday morning for the next weekend. And then after that, um, they had offered a, a, us the job. And in my head, I'm like, Eric's like, hey, why don't you just pray about it and see what God wants to do? I'm like, no way, dude. Don't even need to. We live in Columbia, South Carolina. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but I'll do anything to get out of here. Right? <clears throat> and so... Uh, Amen. Yeah, somebody's been there. It is rough. Okay. I think my mom and dad are watching, so. Uh, but all that to say, all that to say, we did pray about it. I don't want to make it seem like we didn't pray about it at all. So we prayed about it and like really felt really strongly that this is what God had for us in the next season. And I call, I call Eric and I'm like, dude, we're in. We're doing it. Let's do it. And so we had just made like a five-year plan to stay in Columbia and live our lives. And we had gotten married and like two months had gone by. And then I'm like, mom, dad, we're moving across the country. And um, so then I started thinking about it more and more. And I'm like, what did we just do? 
I don't want to do this. And I was totally overwhelmed with like panic and fear. And so I'm talking to my wife and I'm like, babe, we can't do this. We're not doing this. And she's like, well, he already told Eric that we're going to go and um, we just kind of have to go now. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think we do. And she's like, (laughs) she's like, well, she's really good at, if you know my wife, she's really good at like being very gentle, but getting you so good. And so she's like, well, do you feel like the Lord has called you to to work there? I was like, I did at the uh, last week, but I don't know about now. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to get her back. How about this? I'm like, well, I'll call Eric and we'll make it spiritual here. If he answers, then I'll quit because God wanted him to answer the phone. And if he doesn't answer, then I'll take it as a sign that, you know, we're supposed to move to Colorado. And here we are, um, three years later. So, (laughs) but see, sometimes God drops these promises on our timeline and we're walking through the process, right? And then we get stuck. And the promise is sometimes so close. And God's calling us to keep walking, to, to take steps of faith, to take steps of action, to receive that. And we live right here for our whole lives. And so, you know, God's, like I said earlier, God's going to work it out however he wants to. But we see with the Israelites, they went on this 40-year detour. And a lot of stuff happened to get them there. But what promise are you coming into tonight needing from the Lord? What has God spoken to you in the past? What has he called you to that you need to revisit, that you need to refocus on? That you have to start walking through this process again, that you've given up on because things got hard. What relationship, what job, what commitment? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? What is it that God's calling you to trust him in and see him prove himself faithful in his promises? And we'll pick up in verse 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other one, so that one did not come near the other all night. So we see that God sent this specifically commissioned angel and a pillar of fire and a cloud, which later is what leads the Israelites um, on their journey. But it's a barrier between Israel and the pursuing Egyptians. And God protected Israel from the Egyptian attack until a way was made through the Red Sea. And see, so, sometimes, so often, I think we have little perspective on what God protects us from. And we're, we're in the midst of a battle, we're in the midst of the trial, and we're like, man, what is God doing? But if he pulled back his protection, we'd really be like, oh no, everything's falling apart. And we, we see this beautiful contrast in this, picture, in this uh, scripture that, that the cloud was darkness to the Egyptians, but the pillar was a light to Israel. And so I think it goes to show that when we seek our own volitions and we're seeking things apart from God, it can look like we're living in darkness, right? But when we're seeking the things of God, we have this this light. And I think it's a vivid picture of how the glory of God or the work of God can be a light to one person yet seem so dark to others. When we seek the things of heaven and we seek the things of God, we live in the light, right? And when we seek the things of the world, we live in darkness. When we seek light, we have the protection of his promises. And when we seek, when we live in darkness, we tend to get overwhelmed mentally, physically, spiritually without that, that true north. 
verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and their left. So here we see God make a way where there is no way out, right? Because Moses trusted God through this and walked through it in faith and in boldness, we see God give them a way out of their situation in only a fashion that could be divine. Verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire in the cloud, and he troubled the armies of the Egyptians. So God miraculously works on the side of the Egyptians. I mean, on the, of the, on the side of the Israelites, sorry. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians until Israel had crossed all the way through the Red Sea, and only then did he allow the Egyptians to start passing through the waters. Verse 25. And he took off the wheels of their chariots so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all of the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. And so here we see the Israelites coming to the realization that God really is, the Egyptians coming to the realization that God really is fighting for the Israelites, that Moses didn't come to Pharaoh, make something up, tell him a story just to set them free, but they see that they're having some divine intervention and some opposition that could only be uh, from God. And so ultimately, the trials that we go through, the things that we go through, they ultimately serve as, as a testimony to our enemies, right? That they'll come to go, know God's power and God's glory for the way that he fights for us, the way that he loves us, the way that he always keeps his promises, because when we trust in God, and when we trust in God to keep his word and walk in that, it leads to our deliverance. In verse 29, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw great, the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So we see God deliver Israel from seemingly impossible circumstances, right? And this was just the result that God intended from verse 1. That he demonstrated his faithfulness to Israel and that the Egyptians even saw his power. But it all started with, with God revealing this plan to Moses, revealing his plan to Moses, and Moses having the courage amongst the, the bickering, amongst the chatter, amongst the, the doubt to walk in the promise that God had given them. And see, when we see that, when we walk through tough times confidently in what God has called us to, it serves, again, as a testimony to others. It's our beacon of hope that when these tough times occur, we can rest in God's promises because we know that he never goes back on his word. You know, one of the sweetest things I think about the Lord is how his nearness grows in times of difficulty. 
And I know that we don't necessarily always feel that way, like when we're in, when we're in trials or we're in tough seasons. It's really easy to feel like God's distant. But the reality of that is God's character never changes. It's, it's us who change, right? But then we, we go through trials, we go through these things, and when we come out on the other side, we see God's faithfulness through every step. We see that God never left us, that he never fors- for, he's never forsaken us, You know what, I'm going to go back to this story of when we moved out here. But about seven years ago, um, I was working at a, a church in the southeast, and uh, one, of the, one of the pastors was going to plant a church in Castle Rock, and I was, like, praying. Like, he had asked me to come uh, lead worship out there with him, and I was praying, and I was like, man, God, is this what you have for me? And I really felt the Lord stir in my heart um, for Colorado. And Laura and I had, my wife had only been dating for a couple years, and um, we had kind of talked about it, and I just really felt like it was a really weird place. Like, I felt like Colorado was somewhere that I needed to be, but not in this specific area. Um, and then come three years after that, you know, we have this opportunity to move out here, and it's been a process. You know, we, we move out here. We kind of started over. We didn't have any friends it took a long time to build relationships. It took a long time for this to feel like home. I, I remember when I would first started working here, I'd come home and just find my wife crying on the bed. And she's like, why did I, we're so, I'm so sad. I'm so lonely. Why did we do this? It was her and we have a, a dog named Maggie and they would always, I'd come home and they'd just be like, I'll cut it up and she'd be crying. Um, but it's been this process. And now looking back, at what God had stirred my heart for, what God had le- has led us through. Like, this has been one of the greatest seasons of our lives. Um, we have a great community of friends, uh, a great small group. God's just providing for us in ways that we never could have imagined. But if it was me, it wasn't her, but if I was too fearful to walk in what I felt like God had called me to, we would have missed out on all of this. And so I never want to get to the place in my life where we, we come to the end of our lives and, and we look back on things that we could have, we should have, we, we wish we would have done to see what God would do, to see how God would meet us in, the, in those moments. And I know that we've talked about a lot, of, we've talked a lot about the promises of God tonight and the promptings that go with those promises. And, and you might be in here thinking like, yeah, I mean, that's cool, but like I'm not in a really hard season. Um, I'm not an Egyptian. I don't have people chasing me. Um, I'm, or I'm not an Israelite, I'm sorry. I'm not stranded in the wilderness. I'm not close to death. I'm not facing impossible odds. But, but the reality of that is that a lot of us in here are in those places. And the point of all this is to say that we can trust in God to do what he said he's going to do and to keep his word. And so where are you tonight? Are you walking in boldness towards the unseen promises of God? Are you feeling surrounded or enclosed by your enemies thinking, man, I did not sign up for this. What is even happening in my life? Are you crying out to God for deliverance? Are you realizing that God is fighting for you, that there are things happening in your life that shouldn't be happening, that God's providing you in places that he shouldn't be? Or are you coming out of a season like that where you can look back and see God's faithfulness and that he was working in you the whole time? And maybe God's prompting you right now I don't know, but are you consumed with bitterness, but you're unwilling to seek 
and to let God in? Are you overwhelmed with grief, but you're unwilling to seek the comfort of the Lord? Is your marriage falling apart, but you're unwilling to let Jesus be the center? Are you wanting God to do something incredible in your life, but you're afraid to take steps of faith? You know, the best part about all this is that every single one of us in here tonight, whether we're a believer or we're not a believer, we have an opportunity to accept the guarantee of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That through his death and resurrection, the victory ultimately that costs him everything is so freely given to us. And I want to encourage you tonight to take hold of the promises of God wherever you are, whatever season you're in. Allow God to stir your heart to walk in courage and respond. Tonight's the night to seek, to pray, to be bold, to respond to what God's doing because he, he will do what he says he's going to do. And I'm going to close with a, a story and it's uh, Charles Spurgeon again. I love that guy. Um, but he told the story of, of an old saint of an old, who lay on her deathbed and she declared that Jesus would never forsake her because he He'd promised her to. And someone asked her, but suppose that he did not keep his promise and that you were to be lost. And she answered, then he would be a greater loser than I. It is true I would lose my soul, but God would lose all of his honor and glory if he were not true. God's motive for delivering us is not only his love for us, but also a desire to guard his own honor and glory. If we have trusted in God, and have come out of the Egypt of the world through his grace, and have left all of its sins behind us, if we were left to die in the wilderness, the Lord Jesus Christ would lose his glory as a Savior. The Divine Father would lose his name for immutable faithfulness, and the Holy Ghost would lose his honor for perseverance in completing every work which he undertakes. We can trust in God and know that he'll keep his word. And so there's going to be a, a, a prayer team down here and pastors um, if you need prayer, if, if you're ready to take steps of faith, if there's an area of your life that you, you need to be encouraged in, if, if God has led you to do something at one point in your life and you've kind of lost track of that, um, if you are consumed with bitterness or grief and you want the peace and the promises that, that God offers us, um, there's communion down here if, if you feel led to take communion. Um, but I just want to encourage you, you know, one of the, the guys on the worship team um, this past weekend said that he felt like the Lord gave him a word, and that word was that every victory begins with prayer, and it ends with worship. And so that's what we're going to do, and I just want to encourage you to take the time, be bold, walk out in faith, expecting God to meet you in this moment. We're going to pray, we're going to worship, so let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your promises. Lord, that you never go back on your word, Lord, that we can rest and trust in you to work all things for our good. Lord, that you provide a way out of every temptation. Lord, that no height, no depth, no enemy can come against your love for us. Lord, we just ask that uh, you continue to allow your spirit to fall tonight. Lord, that this time of worship would just be so sweet that we'd have such a uh, powerful time in your presence, Lord, and, and God, I just pray that you would stir our hearts to take steps of faith tonight. That you would stir our hearts to, to be more like you. 
to go deeper in relationship with you, Lord, that we would find the courage and know that you always keep your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.